This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. You're listening to Creature Comforts here on MPB Think Radio. I'm Java Chapman here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, Jackson, and Livy Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Now, today is one of our favorite days. It's an all-pet day here on Creature Comforts, so the doors to the pet hospital are wide open. We welcome all of your pet questions from the big to the small. Also, we want to hear about your recent wildlife experiences, if you've had any recent brushes with nature nature you can join our conversation this morning one eight seven seven mpb ring that's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four or you can send an email to animals at mpbonline.org also want to remind you that creature comforts airs on every saturday morning at 6 p.m so if you have to leave this morning, you can always catch up on the repeat Saturday mornings at six. Now, I know we have Dr. Troy Major. Also, OK, we have Libby. Good morning, guys. How is everybody today? Good morning. Good morning. Good. Good morning I'm glad to be with you on this side. Kevin Farrell is out this morning, but we um, will march on on a very fun day, pet day. So if you have any pet questions, go ahead and get them in. Our phone lines are open, one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. But as always, Libby, um, what have you been seeing outside of your window? Wow, things have changed, haven't they? It's so nice and warm and uh, noticing a lot of insects coming out. And, of course, that makes a lot of the birds happy. And I got a really good look at one of my very favorite birds. Uh, the kinglets are some of my most enjoyable birds to watch. And uh, the golden crown kinglet is uh, particularly fun. It's uh, our smallest bird. Uh, other than a hummingbird, and it's a little less than four inches. It's a tiny little thing, but uh, they're beautiful, and they both have a crown. The female has kind of a yellowish crown, but very beautiful and lots of pretty barkings, but they're tiny little things, and I got a very good up-close look at the male and actually got to see right down onto the top of his head. Usually he's up in the top of trees, so I don't hear that much. So anyway, that was fun. They're uh, a fun thing to watch for. If you see just the tiniest of little flitting around and they move their wings around a lot, you could have a kinglet, and it's, it's worth watching and investigating to see them. So they're lots of fun. Oh, well, that's good. I take it back a couple of weeks ago with the snow and ice. I can't remember what kind of birds they are. They were kind of kind of uh, medium sized and black. But I had just a yard full of these birds digging through the ice looking for, I guess, whatever was plentiful bugs or something. And I remember telling my kids to rent to our big open uh, window where we can overlook the backyard. And it was just, I mean, just a flock of, of, of birds, more birds than I've seen at one time uh, in a while. And I don't know, I guess, if the uh, insects were coming out of the ice or something, but it was like a buffet for those birds. <laughs> yeah, so I guess, luckily for a lot of those birds, we had 
warm weather earlier. So um, larvae and things were in the um, leaf litter. You know, have we've talked about how the fireflies live right just below where the leaves are laying on the ground. So all of those kind of things had been up. And I really think that saved a lot of birds because I noticed, yeah, the blackbirds, they were working like they were really finding something. Didn't that appear to you? They were, they were able to find some larvae and some things to live during that very cold. Yeah, that is true. And then as soon as the ice melted, all the squirrels, I guess, amazingly came back uh, and, and started getting the acorns. I don't know if I just have plentiful uh, acorn uh, <laughs> crop or something, but I have a, a, a numerous amount of squirrels uh, running up and down my trees and in and out my yard. And my my daughter, my middle daughter, she's just she's fascinated by these squirrels. <laughs> You know, you had to miss that time when Kathy was on about squirrels, but we thought about you because your daughter had talked so much about the squirrels hiding the acorns. And Kathy says all the literature does confirm that they really can go back and find those acorns. So you can tell your daughter that, yes, they hide them and then later go back and eat them. Yeah, that's saving up. Yeah. Now, Dr. Major, um, how how are things at the clinic um, uh, happening this, this time of year? You know, we've, we're playing catch-up still from the ice storm and all that. Uh, we are seeing uh, typical early spring-type uh, situations, vaccinations. Uh, just uh, dogs are out more right now this past week or so. Uh, so some of them get into trouble. We had one yesterday that uh, got a hold of a block of rat poison. Oh, wow. And uh, it, was, it was a fairly severe rat poison-type bait. And we were able to get the dog to um, actually throw that up, vomit, if you will. So we got most of that out of his system before it was absorbed. Uh, there, there are a lot of things going on. Uh, we see a fair number of, of puppies this time of year, and uh, certainly they're a joy to uh, watch all of those. Olivia had a question about the kinglets. Uh, Do they come to the feeder? No, they don't, unless there are bugs in the feeder, and sometimes you can see them there. And I've seen them around the suet. Uh, They eat tiny little bugs and actually insect eggs. Okay. But if your feeder is attracting any kind of little insects, or if your suet is, then they'll go to that. I think my feeder attracts squirrels better than anything else, but uh, anyway... Have yeah. a lot of the squirrels there. Uh, I want to encounter, I guess, uh, nature-wise. I have a a wren that uh, actually sleeps, I believe, on top of a ceiling fan on the patio. And uh, every morning it gives me a song, uh, even before before the sun comes up or as the sun starts up. So that's kind of kind of neat. Oh uh, yeah. But uh, that's my encounter lately with any type of wildlife. Excuse Good morning. Me. That's great. Now, right. we do we do have a, a caller on the line, Rebecca from Gulfport. I promise we're going to get to you in a few moments. But, Dr. Major, I ran across this story online, and I wanted to um, uh, get your get your thoughts about it because it, it potentially affects a lot of uh, pet owners uh, and already has because um, Soresto, 
one of the most popular flea and tick collars in the country, has been linked to um, a number of pet deaths, tens of thousands of injured animals and hundreds of harmed humans, according to um, some documents from the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency. And um, um, what have you heard about this? Oh, yes. The, here's the thing. I tried to find out more information this morning and really uh, did not get anything new. Uh, Seresto is a is a eight month I believe collar that uh, you put on and it's very effective against fleas and ticks. Uh, however, there's a number probably has grown by now, but 1,700 deaths have been attributed and dogs have been attributed to the Seresto collar and uh, the. Actually, I've reported, and that was a massive number of adverse events, uh, I believe 75,000 adverse events. So it is a significant thing, and if you have a Seresto collar, I would suggest uh, at this point taking it off. Okay. All right. Well, we appreciate that information because I, that that was an alarming story because I know Soresto um, is one of those callers that has all the commercials and you know it's like I said one of the most popular brands in the country and that's absolutely a, that's an alarming and, story. Right. And uh, even this morning I saw an ad on TV as I was feeding feeding my cats uh, for Soresto collars. So it's a large company, and I draw back to some of the things, uh, if you think about it, uh, uh, Roundup, for example, has been incriminated for, what, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma in people. And I suspect we also have seen some things in dogs because they're right down on the ground with Roundup, but they're still advertising and selling it, which is a little bit strange, some of these large companies, and certainly Soresto uh, would qualify under a large company, the company that has that. So... Anyway, that's enough for any questions. I will try to answer those. All right. Well, let's go to the phone lines um, because we do have Rebecca from Gulfport um, who's on the line. And I believe she's called before. wants to give us an update on um, on her cardinal cardinal issue. Uh, good morning, Rebecca. Good morning, y'all. I just wanted to let, let me know that after nine months, our cardinal has stopped attacking my house. <laughs> oh, oh, good. I, I don't I don't know if he finally died, if he left or what, but but all of a sudden I noticed I'm not getting my daily bumping on my window anymore. Well, well we're that he moved on. He finally got um, sensible about it. Was that one a male? Yes, it was a male. Yeah, and we I tried the the yeah. Twizzlers and we tried the Prism Tape and we tried. I am adoring my my wind chimes that I have out there. But they didn't bother him in the least. Well, don't get too confident. There may be another to take his place. So anyway, sounds great though that he's gone. I know it's a relief to you. Well, yeah. Well, we've been on the property for twenty-two years, and this is the only time we've ever had a bird attack okay. the house. <laughs> well, let's hope no more then. Good yes, luck. Let's hope no more. Y'all have yeah. a blessed day. All right. We appreciate you calling in about that update, Rebecca. Let's go ahead and take our first uh, first break for the hour. This is an all pet day here on um, Creature Comforts. So we are looking at a couple of phone calls coming in right now. We're going to get to them after the break. But if you want to join our conversation, if you have a pet question for Dr. Major or want to talk about your latest brushes of with nature uh, with Libby Hartfield, you can do that. Call in right now. one eight seven seven. 
MPB Ring. That number is one 672 7464 Or you can uh, send us an email. That's animals at mpbonline.org. We'll have more of Creature Comforts after the break. Hey, this is Larry Morrissey with the Mississippi Arts Commission. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. Each week, myself or one of my fellow hosts bring you in-depth interviews with different creative Mississippians. We talk with visual artists, musicians, writers, as well as people who help bring the arts to their communities. We hear about how each artist learned their craft and get some insight into their creative process. You can hear the Arts Hour every Sunday at 5 p.m. on Think Radio, or listen anytime by subscribing to the show through your favorite podcasting app. This is MPB Think Radio's Creature Comforts, the show all about your animals and the animals around you. Good morning. I'm Java Chapman here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Today is an all-pet day, and we have some pet owners, well, we have some callers on the line, and um, they want to comment about bird feeders which is something we talked about a little bit last week with our good friend joe mcgee and um how (laughs) some of the bigger birds were picking on the smaller birds i mean it was just almost like a little bit of bullying going on at the bird feeders so we're gonna get to william in starkville who wanted to talk about um well let's go to francis in natchez let's speak with francis in natchez first because this is all about the big birds messing with the little birds go ahead francis how are you doing this morning right uh thanks for having me but it's not they're messing with them they're eating them <laughs> <laughs> i put out uh, my bird feeders i live in the rural uh, birds and i was sitting on my porch one day and this this hawk came from out of nowhere and grabbed the cardinal, and I said, wow, that, that cardinal put some moves on the hawk, but that hawk put some more moves on that cardinal and killed him. I was like, no, what could I do but other than shooting the hawk to, uh, you know, protect the birds? Okay. First off, it is illegal to shoot the hawk. So do not shoot the hawk. Yeah, but also the feeling is that a hawk is taking rodents and things out of the environment. They're doing a good service for you, and I think you're just going to have to let them have a cardinal every now and then. The way they're made, they can't do anything else. They're predators, and they have to. They can, you know, they can't make a choice and go eat seeds or plants. So they've got to have meat, and that's what they are evolved to do. So I think we're just going to have to put up with it and say that they're part of our ecosystem and that we love to watch them, too. And we don't want our hawks to die. We want them to be able to catch uh, mice and do other things that uh, we're glad about them being in the environment. So that's just kind of uh, that's life as, as we live it. So we're going to have to put up with that. Okay. Well, we appreciate you um, calling, Francis. I guess, Libby, my question as a follow-up would be um, with the just attacking the feeders. Maybe, you know, in the wild, you know, you have to let things be as they are. But um, with being at, at the feeders, it's kind of a, a gathering place or a buffet, so to speak, for the hawks. Yeah, you are. You're, you're making it easier for them and that they know that's a reliable place to go and find food. So you are doing that. Right, Java. And, uh, uh, you know, if 
if you want to shoo a hawk away or something like that, I guess logically you could do it. But uh, the law says you're not supposed to kill them or harass them or uh, harm their nest in any way. And those are all rules that are made for very good reasons. Go ahead, Dr. Major. You know, one of the things that happens when we have this gathering of birds around the bird feeder, and I suspect there's a lot uh, more damage from feral cats or outside cats, they enjoy uh, preying on the animals around around the bird feeder as well. So something to keep in mind is that uh, you are, in a way, sometimes setting up uh, a situation where cats and or the hawks uh, could predate on those birds. Well, let's go to our next caller, which is uh, 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 exactly what you're talking about with the cats, um, Dr. Major. Let's speak with William in Starkville. Good morning, William. Do we have William? Uh, yeah. Can you hear me? Yes, sir. Good morning. Good morning. Yeah. The, the uh, last week you <laughs> were speaking about cats um, uh, attacking birds at a bird feeder, and I've wondered why you can't find a little border fence uh, 15 inches high or something like that at the hardware store and make a, uh, a loop around the bird feeder uh, 15 or 20 feet in diameter and uh, that way keep the cats uh, um, far enough away that the birds can, can have some protection before they, because the cat would have to jump the fence to get uh, to a bird. Anyway, that was one suggestion. And the other one was we uh, got caught with the ice storm and didn't have, hadn't been feeding the birds and uh, had a whole bunch of juncos and I think it was a, a white-throated spell. Uh, coming around, and we discovered that uh, that they enjoy and and eat uh, oatmeal like crazy, and so we fed them with oatmeal for three days. And I was, in fact, I was surprised that they, uh, when when the uh, ice storm was over, they never came back. I was a little surprised at that, but uh, anyway, that worked very well. And another thing, I was really dismayed at. I, I crushed cat food, and they they hardly touched the cat food. They liked oatmeal ten times better than they uh, than they did the cat food, which I thought would be more nutritious. So, anyway, those are my comments in case they're helpful to someone. Thank you. And yes, I have seen people pretty successfully put up uh, barriers that keep cats, and it might also kind of dissuade a hawk, I guess, as well. Uh, I've seen people do things with barbed wire, actually. The places where they had their cats would sit, if they put that wire around, it's far enough away that the birds don't get entangled in it, but it it, uh, dissuades the cats from jumping over towards the feeders. So I think there are all kinds of ingenious things that um, homeowners could do to help protect their birds and to uh, make a place that easier for them to watch their birds. Well, we appreciate your um, your comment, William. Uh, if you have a question or comment for our show this morning, which is an all pet show, so if you have any pet questions, one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or you can send an email to animals at mpbonline dot org. Now, Libby and Doctor Troy Major, I also saw this story online, and it's kind of a 
well, it's not really science fiction because it's science fact. This actually happened. Uh, I don't know if you heard about the black-footed ferrets, which was one of North America's most endangered species and actually was declared extinct in 1979. But um, a, a Wyoming rancher discovered a small population uh, living on his land, and that was the beginnings of a breeding program. But to jump towards 2020, um, we had... A cloned ferret named Elizabeth Ann made from the frozen cells of a ferret that died 30 years ago um, was born in 2020. uh, And now she is thriving and uh, hopefully going to be part of another breeding program that will help rescue uh, this species from the brink of extinction. Now, is I don't know if you guys want to comment on this, but is this a little bit too science fiction? Is this a is this a good thing <laughs> to bring these guys back from extinction? I don't. It sounds like a movie to me. Oh, that's a cool thing. I had not heard about the cloning attempt, and um, it will be interesting to see if it works. And um, it does sound like science fiction, but um, if you read it as truth, I guess we can look into it some more, see what we hear. But um, I'll be anxious to hear what happens. Well, yeah, this was done um, uh, with the Colorado, um, well, reported on from Colorado Colorado Public Radio. And um, Elizabeth Ann, she's uh, doing really really good. Uh, She came from the sales of a domesticated um, uh, ferret, but they they made the comment that she is not domesticated at all. She's, uh, you know... As sweet as can be, as a sweet kit as she can be, when she will nip at you, <laughs> letting her wild, wild fangs fly. Um, uh, and this is just something I remember a movie where they were uh, running around with uh, cloned animals and they were saying this was a clone of a clone. And, you know, tigers had been extinct for some other odd years. And I was saying, wow, we are actually in this right now with 2020 playing around with uh, cloned animals. <laughs> yeah, pretty yeah, let's go ahead and take our next break for the hour. Uh, this is an all pet quest, uh, all pet day here on Creature Comforts. You can join our conversation one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. If you have a pet question or want to let us know about your recent brushes with nature, I'm here with Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science, and Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Jackson Animal Medical Center. This is Creature Comforts right here on MPB Think Radio. Hi, I'm Jason Klein from Fix It 101. If you ever thought about changing the doorknob or fixing the leaky faucet, some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere. This is Crenshaw Comforts here on MPB Think Radio. Good morning. I'm Java Chapman here with Dr. Troy Major and Libby Hartfield. And today is an all pet day. Now, if you missed any part of today's program, you can always subscribe to the podcast using any podcasting app or my favorite way to listen back is the MPB public media app. You can download it and you have each and every one of our locally produced shows right on your mobile device. To join today's show, one eight seven seven mpb ring one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, 672 7464 or send us an 
email animals at mpbonline.org. Let's go back to the phones. We have Kay from Lion on the phones. Good morning, Kay. Good morning, sir. I have a problem. As you know, we were snowed and iced in for a couple of weeks, and I live out in the country next to cotton fields, and I have an orchard in front of my house and in back of my house. I have a walled-in garden, but outside of the garden, obviously, I have flower beds and uh, grass all the way around. The deer discovered my grass during the ice storm, and oh, we're talking like 30, 35 deer. And I looked out my bedroom window this morning, and 10 feet away was a deer sort of looking at me, and I was sort of looking at her. So... What do I do to sort of get them back out of my territory, which they had not come into until the ice storm? Help! <laughs> okay. The things that I have been told, one thing is scent. That if you put your scent around in the yard, anyways, you want to do that, or even use some kind of a... um like a, a perfume or something that... Uh, associated with people and not with wildlife, those kinds of things. You can sometimes mark the area. But they've come in your um, grass and decided it tastes good to them, and so they're coming back. This well, is the right through. Okay, it kept all the way through the ice storm because they were right. having a terrible time finding food. Sure. Yeah, so you did a good a couple, deed there. Couple, now it's time a couple to of things that you can out. do. This uh, is the perfect time to do it because it's springtime and everything else is greening up. Right. So any way that you can dissuade them from your area, lawn furniture, um, like I say, anything that has your scent on it, you may just kind of junk that area up a little while and um, see if you can dissuade them. Have you tried anything like that yet? No. Okay. No, I haven't known where to start. I, mean, I, I can run things. around with a perfume bottle right. out there. I mean, we're talking a lot of ground here. I have several things that can work, so let's talk about that, okay? Yes, sir. First of all, our deer expert uh, mentioned two things. Uh, one, uh, they go to areas that are better fertilized. Uh, they like that. I realize this is more of an emergency when everything was under snow and ice. But there are several things that you can do. One, I've used, uh, I have a deer problem, and I have used a product, and I'll make an advertisement here because that's where I've been getting it from forestry suppliers here in Jackson. Uh, it's made from rosemary and putrefied egg. Now, that sounds awful, but it does work usually for 30 to 45 days. You can spray that, uh, mix it up, and spray it uh, with a sprayer. Uh, the other thing that I've used. For it? Pardon? Do you have a name for it? Ah, uh, they would know it. Rosemary putrefied eggs. Yes, they would know it. Okay. It has it has some odor that you would find distasteful as well. Obviously, I rosemary kind of. Why? <laughs> the, the rosemary kind of covers that up, and uh, I've never had a problem with that. I had sprayed. Uh, deer love. Uh, Budded rosebuds, they, they, they'll come and strip the rosebuds off of uh, rose plants if you're not careful. Okay. The other thing, uh, I don't know if you, there's one of the catalogs and it does work. Uh, I don't know if you have a catalog from Sporties. Uh, yes. Okay. 
if you look in there, uh, it's not cheap, but they have some little bags that you can hang around. You could put some stakes out and hang that around. I think it's just called deer no-no, and they last up to a year, uh, specifically if you had a shrub or something that they were starting to, uh, you know, that would work. Oh, if I could do specific shrubs, that would be great, right. because I have right. all sorts of camellias out there, and they think those are nice, too. Right. One other thing that the uh, deer expert recommended was, you know, just a electrical fence. It doesn't have to be fantastic or anything like that. But if you do it, you need two wires set apart because the deer can jump over. So if you put it around your yard and then back away, probably, I think he said, eight to ten feet away from that, where uh, they would have to touch one of the wires, it is fairly yeah. effective uh, from that okay. side. Well, I, do, I, I can't do that because I have tractors running around. Okay. Too, so. okay. okay. Anyway, We're good luck with that. Farm. Pardon? We're a working farm. That okay. is very, very, very helpful because all of a sudden I've got them coming and saying, Hi, good morning. <laughs> right. Well, they, they like your yard, I'm sure. Yes. Yeah, so then I discovered it. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your help. Good luck. Thank you, Kay. Let's uh, continue on the phones and go to uh, Madison and speak with Jerry. Good morning, Jerry. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. I have a comment about the black-footed ferret, and then maybe Libby can elaborate on this. If I'm not mistaken, the black-footed ferret is a predator, and one of its main prey was the prairie dog, whose population has been, you know, really decimated due to... uh, large-scale farming and grazing operations out west. So to bring something back without its natural habitat to go to is a tricky, you know, kind of thin ice kind of thing. And I just uh, just like to remind people that that's why a lot of our creatures in North America are endangered or threatened is due to their lack of habitat. And I'll hang up and go from there and thank you all. That's a great point, Jerry. That is uh, something to consider. Yeah. And that right. is exactly right, Jerry. I'm assuming that if they have spent all this money and effort to clone the animals that they have working on the habitat to get it ready before they did that, because that is the number one reason that animals go extinct is because their habitat are destroyed or or modified to such an extent that they can't find food. And the prairie dog was such an abundant animal that uh, lots of things fed on them, and particularly those ferrets. And when the prairie dogs were, they were poisoned pretty mercilessly. So once the prairie dogs were gone, there, uh, you know, was very little, if anything, for ferrets to eat. So, yeah, you're right. And it's always a reminder that it does no good to raise animals in a zoo-type environment and then let them go if there's not the appropriate habitat for them. A couple of things about cloning. Uh, certainly it can be done. Uh, I've actually taken tissues from uh, dogs and they're stored. Uh, people uh, think they want to reproduce a dog, which they cannot do an identical dog, obviously. But uh, think about this. Uh, 10,000 years ago, there were a lot of large animals uh, in the northern and southern uh, states, not states, but uh, South America and North America. The mammoths, for example, were fairly easy prey, and uh, 
they are gone, obviously. And um, there's a move underway by some people to try to uh, clone those and bring those back, which might be a mistake. Uh, there's an excellent book, I think it's called Area 9 or something like that, where people cloned all these animals that were extinct and then sold hunting rights for that. And it got out of hand and the animals took over after a while. But anyway, uh, there's a lot of ethical questions about cloning, and Libby's actually right, and you are too, that there may not be a food source for those uh, ferrets. They're also very susceptible to some of the viruses, and that has wiped out entire populations as well. That's interesting, Dr. Major, because like I said, this is all you know, fairly new. And from what I've read about um, Elizabeth Ann, <laughs> there are no plans to uh, release her into the wild. And um, I don't think it's like a large um, um, campaign to just, you know, start reproducing or cloning um, black-footed ferrets just, you know, just for the sake. But that is something to think about. And hopefully they are thinking about it when they are undertaking these um, these type of endeavors, because it is nice to bring something back for um, from from the brink of extinction. Um, but you do have to be careful, uh, as you say, because if you don't have the proper habitat or um, food source, you know, things can get kind of get kind of tricky. Now, we do have a, 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 an email that came through um, for you, Dr. Major. Um, it says, hi, Creature Comforts. I have a four-month-old bloodhound puppy. She's a sweet dog, and we have her house trained for the most part. She's also good at sleeping in her kennel as we live in town and don't want to leave her outside at night. The only behavior she ha- has is nipping at our hands. She wants attention, but when it is given, she gets super excited and then tries to nip our hands. Will she grow out of this, or what can we do uh, to keep her from nipping? Thanks, Amanda from Senatobia. Usually in cases like this, it's best to assume control, which means uh, teaching your dog to heal, sit, stay, this sort of thing, and also do not encourage bad behavior. If it's because you're playing with her head or this sort of thing and she starts to nip, I discourage that. Uh, a sharp no. And if you have a uh, good uh, leash owner and this sort of thing, you can <clears throat> emphasize that. But some basic things, if you can get those basic, uh, what I call basic dog traits that makes a happier dog and a better dog for you, I think that's a good start, and hopefully they've started this. This is Creature Comforts here on MPB Think Radio. We're here with Dr. Troy Major, Libby Hartfield, and we're looking for your pet questions. You can join today's conversation, one 672 7464 or just like Amanda did, you can send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. Uh, we do have some callers on the line, and let's go to uh, Jackson and speak with Don. Don, Good. Uh, let's see. Good morning, Don. How are you doing today? Very well. And you, sir? Oh, doing fine. Doing fine. What's your question today? I have a question for uh, Dr. Major. We have a two-year-old female rescue dog. And uh, every time we let her outside to go tinkle, it kills the grass. <laughs> and uh, we've been feeding her uh, Purina dog food. And just wondering if he has any comments on why that might be happening. <laughs> I've had a similar situation with my dog, and I had a 
a big dog, weighed about 100 pounds. And, yes, she does. Uh, you know, the, the urine is basically, which is a good thing, basically acidic uh, pH uh, in the acid range a lot of times. And that can kill the uh, kill the grass. There's some things, and I don't know the names of them, that you can actually put on the yard, which will help some. Uh, I know of no way to change that because if you change it and change the pH of the urine, you may develop UTIs or some uh, bladder stones, this sort of thing. So I guess it's bad to say it, but you endure it. You have any uh, woods or anything like that that you can make it before she goes out to to urinate? But uh, there may be someone that has an answer to that. I really don't. Yeah. All righty. Well, thank you. I enjoy your show. Thank you, the Doctor Major. I would ask. I guess it kind of maybe depends on the age of the dog. Um, because puppy pads are only for puppies. <laughs> so if it's, if it's that big of a deal, not saying that, you know, Don couldn't live with it, but if it's that big of a deal, what about making a dog uh, tinkle inside of the house? Certainly there's a lot of adult dogs that do that. Uh, usually it's a smaller dog, you know, uh, 15, 20 pounds and under. <coughs> but certainly that would be one answer to that. Uh, a lot of people don't. People don't like the idea of having to have the pads down. So there's uh, a trade-off. A lot of dogs will tear the pads up, you know. Like it's fun to shred them. <laughs> uh, I have one, one little dog that have pads down. It's a smart little dog. And if he urinates on one, he will actually pick that pad up and take it over to where the garbage um the trash can is. Oh, you got a good. You have a good dog, Doctor Major. Well, this is the same. This is the same one that lines his toys up, and uh, <laughs> he, when I give him treats or whatever, he'll take it and then go line it up too. So he's he's a pretty smart little dog. Oh wow, he's he's been here before. Uh, let's go uh, before our next break and speak with our good friend Kathleen uh, from Osaka, who has some tips about. Uh, I think it's what feeding the deer. Well, I hope you can hear me because I'm, I'm mobile right now. But uh, I noticed that my deer, I call them mine, they, they live around me, uh, were trying to take the hay out of the rabbit cage. So, so uh, I got one of the extra bales and I kind of put it further away from my house, broke it up in several areas, and they found it. They, they were eating that. But I don't usually feed them, you know, but... This time was kind of special. They had treat. So if you want to keep away from the house, so uh, it wouldn't help with the rain because the hay gets wet. But uh, it did keep away from the house. It was scaring the tickets out of my little rabbit. I thought you was going to have a heart attack. Okay, Kathleen, we appreciate your uh, comment this morning. It was a little bit hard to hear, but I think she was saying, I guess, maybe just push their, push if the deer are coming, just give them a food source away. Just like kind right. of, yeah. Right, right. Okay, well, I hope that helps. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Kathleen. Libby or Dr. Major, any, uh, any thoughts on that? Just, I guess, designating them something, but just pushing okay. it away from where you are. You know, the hay probably is not a bad idea. Uh, they don't recommend feeding deer. I know that some of the counties it's outlawed because of the uh, uh, disease. It can affect uh, wasting disease. Uh, it can affect deer. And 
I would say never, I would say never feed grain to the deer uh, around your house or anything like that. I know a lot of hunters have feeders, and it is legal to use those, but uh, be careful with feeding the deer. All right. Well, let's go ahead and take our last um, break for the hour. We do have Amy uh, from Jackson. We're going to come to right after this quick break. So hold on, Amy. Uh, We do want to hear about your suggestions um, for some of our earlier callers. But if you want to join our conversation, you can give us a call right now. 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. We do have some phone lines open. Or you can send us an email, animals at mpbonline.org. We'll be back to finish up Creature Comforts after the break. You're listening to MPB Think Radio. Good morning. I'm Java Chapman here on Creature Comforts, the show all about your animals and the animals around you. Dr. Troy Major and Libby Hartfield are along for the ride this morning as I am filling in for Kevin Farrell, who will be back next week. If you want to join our conversation, one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 7464 or send us an email animals at mpbonline.org as promised we have amy from jackson on the phone who is going to help us out this morning with them some suggestions um from some previous callers good morning amy hey i was actually in jackson the last time i called but today i'm in byron (laughs) oh okay well come on uh amy from byron Yeah, so um, the the person with the urine stain, I have um, used lime out there because lime is like the opposite pH from, from urine, and that can help with the yellowing, and it's also not bad for your yard. Um, and um, it can also help with, like, urine smells if you have, like, a lot of dogs used in the same area because um, one time I had six dogs. Um, and also the, the person with the bloodhound, I have... Um, if you try to get forceful with dogs, especially one that's going to be pretty big, I have seen lots and lots of puppies um, come back at the owner either thinking that they're playing or um, with aggression. Um, and I've been playing around lately with a, a technique that's come out of the University of Te- Texas, which is called constructional affection. Um, it's a, you know like really technical, but basically what it boils down to is you use your petting to tell the dog exactly what you want from it. So, like, if the dog is standing there calmly, you might scratch it on the on the chest. Um, if it sits or lie, lies down, you would use, like, both hands to pet it. Um, if it starts jumping up on you, you take your hands off. And also, if it bites you or if it goes away, you know, so you're, you're actually just using the way that you're petting the dog. And, you know, the goal is you're always really calm with your petting and to get really calm energy back from, from the dog. And I've played with it um, with some dogs that have had some problems that I couldn't solve any other way, and, and I found that, you know, it sounds kind of goofy, but it actually has worked for me. Well, thank you for those uh, suggestions, Amy. Dr. Major, um, how, I, what do you think about those? That's very good, uh, and that's, you know, this is a four-month-old bloodhound puppy. And doing the things like she said that, you know, you don't antagonize for certain and you don't, uh, harsh discipline is not going to work, okay? And I think petting appropriately, uh, plus those things that I said, if the dog is under control, if he's trained, 
to uh, heal, sit, stay. Those are all good first steps as far as having the control, and uh, I agree with the petting appropriately. Well, we thank you. Um, thank you for calling in, Amy. And um, uh, all right, thanks, Gavin and Doctor Major. Appreciate it. Yeah, call back anytime. No matter if you're in Jackson or Byram, you may be in Vicksburg next time. I don't know. <laughs> All right, let's go continue um, on the phones and let's speak with uh, Stephen. We're going all the way to um, Alabama. Good morning, Stephen. Good morning. How are you doing? Oh, doing fine, sir. Go ahead with your uh, question or comment. Uh, I'm a cattleman in Clark County, Mississippi, in East Mississippi, right on the Alabama state line. And last year I had an episode of leptospirosis in my cattle which led to a few abortions and a few stillbirths and i wanted to ask dr major uh what the correlation between lepto is in the local deer population spreading to cattle my vet suggested that that might be where it came from and i'll take uh i'll listen off the phone okay. on, on okay we appreciate you um uh, calling in this morning Stephen. uh dr major um any thoughts about that today Certainly, they can be a reservoir in, in wild animals. Usually, and I say usually, usually the uh, leptospira uh, organism is transmitted in the urine. I'm sorry, Dr. Major, you're saying the leptospira is transferred in the, in the urine? Yeah, yeah, and that's how it spreads. A lot of times, just like with stock ponds or stagnant water, uh, other ways as well, but uh, I would say in answer to the question that yes, the deer population can uh, have leptospirosis, uh, and I think probably appropriate vaccination, which I'm sure his veterinarian has recommended, uh, certainly uh, should eliminate the problem in his herd. All right. Well, um, I know we've talked about this a number of times on um, on the show, Libby, and hopefully I don't don't put you on the spot. But um, I guess are there any updates about the chronic uh, wasting disease uh, in the deer population here in Mississippi? That's a good question, and I haven't heard any updates. Um, I'll, I'll send William a, a text to see if it's time for anybody to come back and talk about anything new, because it is something that we want to stay on top of and be able to um, help our listeners navigate that, all the the changes that that may make in our lives. Okay. And um, I don't know if you um, uh, were aware, today is a, a very important day at your um, your former job, uh, Livy, as a retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Uh, today is the, I, I think I hear you, you what, what, what is happening today? <laughs> okay, this is the 21st anniversary of our opening of the museum. Uh, and I, I don't ever forget it because uh, the night before was my daughter's 18th birthday actually so no actually it was their 17th that year but um it's always on the anniversary of the museum so i always remember we had a, a a big party that night and then opened the museum the next morning always that's that it's nice when you can um pair you know uh uh momentous occasions together because i would never forget my wedding anniversary because it is three days after christmas oh yeah <laughs> I will, 
I can never I can never lose sight of that. Uh, but before we um, uh, end today's uh, pet day, um, as we were talking about the, the dogs going out and messing up the yard when they use the bathroom, uh, Liz, who's engineering our show today, uh, she told me that seeing our dogs can be taught to poop on command. Um, that was that was something. And in uh and in these apartment buildings where sometimes you have a balcony and um, they make such things with uh, as a doggy litter box, so to speak, with sod. And that is a place where um, where the dogs can do their business without having, I guess, maybe walked out on a bunch of flight of stairs or something. So I thought that was some great, great information. Um, Dr. Major and Libby, I really appreciate you guys for letting me jump in for Kevin this morning. Um, But he will be back next week and I will be doing my regular job of pushing buttons and uh, being silent. (laughs) (laughs) Creature Conference is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio, where funding is provided in part by listeners of by listeners like you to hear today's show or previous shows you can visit mpbonline.org slash creature comforts now today's show like i said was engineered by liz gill and our call screener was the always wonderful lisa lancaster for dr troy major libby hartfield i am java chapman and up next is autocrick with the lady auto mechanic allison walker make sure you tune in next thursday at 9 a.m for another edition of creature comforts heard only on MPB Think Radio.